This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the latest edition of the Total Saints podcast. This is our weekly get-together where we discuss all things relating to Southampton Football Club. We're live streaming our podcast on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and Twitch. If you're watching along on Sunday evening, you can leave your comments and questions as we go. I have a feeling it's going to be a busy one this week. As always, a massive thank you to our TSP patrons who make all of this possible. You can visit patreon.com forward slash Total Saints podcast to find out more about getting involved. So coming up on this week's pod how soon is too soon to admit to making an almighty mistake and sacking a manager have we seen enough to make our minds up going to discuss that tonight what's the forest game the worst we've seen at st mary since 2005 i'm going to take some convincing otherwise i'm afraid the january transfer window is open and saints have made a new addition already we'll discuss the latest rumors and what's still desperately needed plus it's been one year since sports republic took over southampton i don't think any of us would have predicted the 12 months that was to follow going to look back on the past year with the help of someone who helped to break that story last year and the games continue thick and fast with two this week it's Man City in the League Cup before a trip to face Everton at Goodison Park on Saturday going to preview both of those games my name's Martin Stark and I'm joined this week by Steve Grant who's the owner of Saints Web Glenda LaCour is the writer of the blog League One Minus Ten and Jacob Tanswell's the Southampton reporter for The Athletic all underpinned by our TSP patrons this is episode 216 of the Total Saints podcast Your home for everything Southampton FC. From dedicated Saints insight to exclusive interviews. Live on YouTube every Sunday and available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is the Total Saints Podcast. Now let's start with the big story this week. The big talking point. Nathan Jones has lost his first four league matches since coming in. So is four matches too early to admit 
that you've made a mistake. Going to start with a comment from our Facebook page, which is Matt Prince, who says, loves the show, uh, which is always a good uh, way to start a comment. Highlight of my week, driving across the Northwest. I've never seen such a pathetic display as the performances under Jones. We've been well and truly sold down the river by the board, and I haven't even got the backbone to apologise for recent events. We've certainly got the identity that Jones was banging on about in his first interview, and that's a championship identity. Glenn, I'm going to come to you first this evening on this one. Um, how do you sum up the last the last week since we last spoke and your uh, your feelings towards uh, the manager? Well, uh, the game on Wednesday, I couldn't think of a worse performance. Um, I'm including the two nine nils. I can't think of a comparable performance right back to the last game that Ian Bramford was in charge, which was I think. January 94, we played Ipswich at home and there were 9,000 people there. Saints fans, as a rule, we're not very militant, but, you know, 9,000 in a 15,000 capacity Dell at the time was um, was the time that it that it all went horribly, uh, horribly wrong. That game was against Ipswich. We lost 1-0 and we basically smashed the ball up the park for 90 minutes and, and lost. And and there was there was deja vu for me watching that, watching that game on Wednesday. It's the most pathetic attempt at playing football that you could possibly imagine. And as far as Jones is concerned, what he said after the game is he basically distilled the game down to two incidents, which was Shay Adams missing a chance in the sixth minute and Lianco making a mistake. That was it. And he totally failed to address the 90 minutes of absolute dross that, that was served up clueless dross we were never going to score and and it, and it was just it was just hopeless personally i saw enough in the brighton game to say you know it's time to admit we've made a mistake here i just don't get it it's an incongruous incongruous appointment on all sorts of levels you know we're we're a team full of young players so young players need guidance we've taken young players from you know academies manchester city's academy so imagine being romeo lavia He's 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 our poster boy now, and he's gone from Pep Guardiola training, pass, 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 move, all this sort of stuff, to watching the ball getting smashed over his head for ninety minutes. It's just it's just it's just garbage. There's there's so many reasons, and you know from what from what you see, ninety five percent of people seem to have come to the same conclusion. This this is not this is not what. It's about this isn't going to work at Premier League level, and it just seems like a colossal error. And Sports Republic have turned the turned the attention very much on themselves with the appointment. I, you know, I I don't have any great personal problem with Nathan Jones. He's a man that's been promoted beyond his capabilities, as far as I'm concerned. the The issue is with the owners and why on earth they thought this guy was 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 going to be right for the club. And it's just, you know, the win against Palace makes no difference to me. I'm very confused as to why we were smashing the ball against Forest and we weren't, we were trying to play against Palace. Okay, we weren't great, but we were trying to play. So either Nathan Jones has given up his entire football philosophy in two days, which I find highly unlikely, or there's been some outside influence or the players have turned around and said, this isn't the way we're going to play. I don't know, but either way, he has um, he has to go as far as I'm concerned, and it's going to take a hell of a lot. And I don't think I can sit through enough games for him to change my mind. That's two of us that agree. Uh, Steve, are you going to make it three? Is there a, a way out of this? Can you turn it around? Um, well, I mean, ultimately, the, the way out of it is 
is with results. If you end up getting some wins under your belt and, and we miraculously pull clear of the bottom three, then all of a sudden the end justifies the means to, to, to many, many people. It's one of those, I'm not, I'm not 100% I'd necessarily fall into that category. I think, I think I would want to see some sort of progress in terms of having a key, cohesive strategy because, as Glenn says, lumping it up, in, up into the air and, and hoping for the best... I mean, but apparently we 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 put in seventy five long balls on on Wednesday night. It's like, how is that even possible? I mean, I, I don't think I don't, I don't think even in in like Sunday league games I played there would there would have been that many. And it's like, how how have you managed to to instruct uh, supposedly Premier League level footballers that this is that this is in their and the team's best interests? It's it's mental. And yeah, I mean, I I think. The the problem the problem he already has is one of not just PR but it's getting people on the side because he's clearly already lost a significant part of the fan base. Um, the toxic atmosphere at the Forest game on Wednesday demonstrated that. Um, I think away, away from home, I think those who go away will always naturally, rightly or wrongly, um, give the team a little bit more leeway. But even on at Sellers Park, you had plenty of dissent from the crowd at various points with with a few of the songs that were coming out. So it's not as if oh we've we've turned a corner and we've we've won a game against against an equally dreadful Palace side and we've we've taken advantage of a couple of defensive screw ups uh, for once and all of a sudden everything's going to be all right because it's not. Um, we're going to go into this game on on Wednesday against Man City, whose whose reserves just went and thumped Chelsea four nil and. I mean, God knows how that's going to end. Um, I mean, if if we keep the score down to anything respectable, I think I think people will be kind of relieved just to get out of there. But I mean, if it go if it gets if it gets proper ugly, then I mean that's that's then going to be two home games in the space of a week where the atmosphere has been just bile, and the guy's been the guy's been in the dugout for less than a month. Really, he'll have had what three home three home league games. Um, no, sorry, two home league games, two home cup games. And not really at any of them has there been sort of a groundswell of support, even even at the Brighton games. It, it was very early on in that in that game where everything started turning turning sour. So when the home support isn't behind you even that early and the atmosphere is that toxic, given given kind of the run of form we had before Hasenhutl was sacked and, ne- and things never got as bad in the stands as as it has already now, I still think you're kind of you're kind of fighting a losing battle almost from the start. I think, but it's a case of whether Sport Republic see that. I mean, maybe they see it, but also that they think, well, I've made this decision now. I've got to I've got to stick with it and see it out because otherwise, I I end up looking like a mug. But I mean, if we take Rasmus Hankerson as the as the kind of chief architect of this, he obviously left Brentford a year just over a year ago to come and come and join up with Sport Republic and come and come and work for us. Um, he was co-director of football at, at Brentford. They have not sought to re- replace him. The guy that was his co-director of football is now just director of football. So that suggests they're quite happy with the work that he was doing and not really looking to replace the work that Rasmus was doing, which I think kind of paints a slightly, um, slightly different picture on how Ankerson was portrayed um, by various people um, sort of during his spell at Brentford, so maybe maybe he's not quite the uh, the genius that, um, that everyone seems to have been making him out to be. 
And Jacob, Steve mentions the crowd there. That was, if I remember, that was quite a key uh, turning point for me when um, we knew that Ralph had to go, when the crowd were turning on him and, and getting on his back. To be fair, Wednesday was the worst I've ever seen in terms of the, the atmosphere. And, and by the way, I think that was, was correct. A lot of people venting a lot of anger. But we could have t- the Lincoln game wasn't great, was it? You, we were expecting to see something. We were just... a, a blown away by how shambolic that was so this this isn't just a reaction to the game on Wednesday this is the the four or five games that we've seen and and the way he conducts himself as well yeah I don't think he's helped himself in his uh, post-match press conferences and bearing in mind that he's not actually had a full pre-match press conference since pre-Lincoln so imagine if he had pre-match press conferences you know in the other other games that may have even uh, worsened matters but I think Slamton fans you know, they can accept losing. They're quite used to losing, but they need to see some sort of progression, some sort of, you know, framework. And there's been nothing. Um, Nathan Jones spent four weeks during the World Cup break betting in the players, betting in his philosophy. And every time you ask him or you try and see it on the pitch, the main thing he keeps saying is that he's got a shape that he wants to play, but he can't play it yet. And that completely contradicts the alignment that Sport Republic want. Uh, they say that Nathan Jones came in because he fits the players that they've currently got. He fits a profile of players they've currently got. And Nathan Jones, now going into this window, wants experience. He wants five centre-backs. He undoubtedly wants to play a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2, whatever you want to call it. And he keeps mentioning that he wants his team to be aggressive on the front foot. But apart from Adam Armstrong yesterday, who broke ranks and pressed uh, Guaita, they don't press either. So fans can't even get excited about that. I think with Harsen at all, Especially at the start, Southampton would lose games quite heavily, but there always seems to be a plan. It always seems to be, we're going to stick to this no matter what. Jones has been two and a throw in. I think I saw one of the comments saying that he's changed system eight times in three games. I make it 10 times in three games. I think it's quite quite bizarre. Um, I don't. Th- I think the Bryson game was really damaging for him because he got tactically outclassed by De Zerbe, uh, changed shape five times, and De Zerbe just kept with the same shape, same false nine, and, and played him off the park. And I think Forrest was, was harrowing because you know, Forrest was dropping deeper. Steve Coupon told his players at half-time to drop deeper. And Southampton, for some reason, didn't even work, didn't work out on the pitch that they've got to stop these long balls. Um, and that comes from the management. Forrest but it comes was terrible from, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it comes from, it comes from the uh, coaches as well. You know, Chris Cohen, his assistant's been sitting in the stands for a few games. He comes to sit next to uh, Nathan Jones for other games. It doesn't just seem to be any stability in, in shape, in anything who's the who's the coach who hasn't even got the coaching badge Alan Sheehan yeah apparently I mean you know what's what's all that about what is all that about that's the thing he's he's a set piece coach now isn't he and that was Ruben Sellers's domain and he'd Sellers spent the whole of the first part of the season overhauling the defensive system okay it didn't work but Slams were getting we're getting trained. Sometimes <laughs> we're getting trained into sitting in the deep shape from wide set pieces and stuff. And Oshin's come in. Sellers has had his job remit completely changed. I'm not sure what it is now. And they're defending a completely different way. And players may like him. They might say his man management is good. But I think it's obvious at the moment that there's a lack of clarity and the players don't really know what their remit is. And Glenn, what have you made of him as a as a person? And and to me, there there seems to be that arrogance at the moment, and that's what I think annoyed me after Wednesday because we had the <laughs> the reaction from the crowd, and then um in in the the clip that they shared on social media, so we gifted him a goal, which created a poor mood here, and and almost you know kind of like threw his eyes as as to outside. It surprises me a little, but that's their prerogative. I think was something else he came out with, and I can't preempt what the fans are going to do. That's entirely up to them. It, it was almost like it, it's. 
I don't know why they're booing me. I don't know what this reaction is. Yeah, what was it? With all due respect, he's from a Welsh. <laughs> he's from a Welsh mining village. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff he's come out with is, is has been unbelievable. But apparently, he's um, he's well known for not really taking any responsibility. You know, not not really admitting that what he's done hasn't worked, and and that's. That's what I was getting out of the start with the, you know, just basically distilling that forest game down to two incidents and, and not talking about the absolute dross mm. that we served up. I, I don't like him. <laughs> you know, the, in, in the short answer to the question, I don't like him. I don't like his character. I don't like the way he comes across. He, in his first couple of interviews before we played any matches, he, you know, he spoke about his high pressing football and and being you know being aggressive and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah blah 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 all good stuff and i remember saying at the time talk is cheap mm. you know you've got to actually you've got to actually walk the walk and we're not walking anywhere <laughs> apart from down in the championship we're just playing football like that is not going to get you anywhere and you know it might work in the championship might work in league one it might work with a six foot eight striker none of these none of these things are relevant at the moment, and I feel sorry for Che Adams. I mean, he he has a go at Che Adams for missing a chance. But if you were a stri- any striker in the world, would snatch at any chance they had if they only got one decent pass every three games and spent the rest of the game squinting up at the floodlights <laughs> with a six foot seven <laughs> defender behind you, which is basically what Che Adams is doing at the moment. It's um it it's horrible. But hey, I'm not I'm not here to to slack someone off on a on a on a personal level. But I don't think he helps himself and. He seems to think he he doesn't need to be liked. Now, to to an extent, that's true. But fans really have got to buy into what you're doing. Otherwise, as Steve says, you end up with this toxic atmosphere, which is horrible. And, and we all saw it coming after, you know, I think someone said on the podcast, we, after the Lincoln game and the Brighton game, you know, imagine what it's going to be like if we're losing to Notts Forest to Forest in the last 10 minutes and it, it was just it was just horrible and the first 20 minutes against Palace were horrible as well and then the the, the fluke goal that we got seemed to um you know the the, the players sort of pepped up if you like and, mm. and just seemed to just seem to revert to it, it's almost like they said we're not going to lump it anymore we're going to pass the ball that's what it seemed like to me I can see I just can't see that instruction having come from um from Jones and um, th- there were bits of his interview after the game on against Palace where you thought well you could in other circumstances feel a bit sorry for him he was saying he had a, he'd had a really tough week you know good and um, you know he was sort of defending his style of football it's, it's very difficult not to talk about what the fans are actually chanting <laughs> 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 I think everyone knows um, but uh, you know he was defending his style of football but you, you can't defend it you, you know, the more you, the more you try and defend that style of that style of football, just smashing the ball out the park. Well, actually, other you, other teams other teams have found out that actually you can defend it defend it very easily. Defend in it fact. very easily. Yes. <laughs> Steve, we've got a question from Tim Ross who's on Facebook. He says, as a one hundred percent Ralph fan, I have to ask the contributor to TSP. Given the change in performance has not been for the better since he left, were Saints under Ralph a poor team playing above their level or a good team held back by a tired manager? I don't want to get too much into the Ralph thing, but do, do you think it's some of this is, is is not necessary down to the new manager? He's dealing with a squad which has has not been performing consistently. There was that stat this week that um, of all the the Premier League and EFL teams, um, I think they worked out what the the average point score was. We were something like 90th out of 92. So it's kind of all lay at his door, can it? 
It doesn't, but I mean, bearing in mind how bad everyone was claiming it was in those sort of last days under Ralph, and Nathan Jones has come in and said, "Hold my beer," <laughs> and it's it, it's gen it's genuinely you kind of like a lot of people said, "Well, how can it possibly get any worse? Just appoint anybody," and we've and we've sort of seen an able demonstration of what happens when you literally just just appoint anybody. Like apparent apparently the the metric. Because obviously we we know that Sports Republic are big on their analytics and their stats and stuff, and apparently the metric that they I mean, obviously not to do down um, Glenn's spreadsheet. The Glenn leaked. Glenn, Glenn's spreadsheet of wonder from his blog. If you've not if you've not seen it, go and check it out, please, because uh, it's brilliant. But apparently the metric that that they were that they that basically swung it for them in terms of picking Jones as the guy they wanted to go for was that he kind of scored best on improving players relative to the budget given. I mean, I mean, how, how the hell you quantify something like that? God only knows. But that was apparently what he came out on top of. I mean, they pre- presumably didn't look at whether his teams were able to pass the ball functionally to, the, to their own teammates, um, whether they were able to defend set pieces, whether central defenders were just making random mistakes, just wandering off 20 yards from goal. Um, every five minutes, it's like, well, how, how, like, I don't think, like, if you put a list of, I mean, 20 potential candidates in for that job and chucked, it's like, it's like when you, when, like, you see these identity parades on US uh, crime shows and they put in, like, a, um, a sort of put them in the ID parade and stuff and get put, like, one, one person in, in there who's actually supposedly done the crime and you put a low, put, like, 20 other complete randomers and you look at it and you think, well, Who's going to pick Nathan Jones out of that lineup of candidate managers who might potentially do a job as a Premier League manager? Nobody but would pick Never him. mind the buzzcocks, isn't it? Ryan does make a good point. He says, I dread to think who was our second choice um, well. if, if he was the first. <laughs> um, but we'll get on to Sports Republic um, very or Sport Republic very soon. Um, there has been some football, and I feel like maybe we should just touch on the football for a bit. And for once, it wasn't us gifting the opposition goals, um, which was great. Palace had a stinker. Um, we're through to the fourth round of the FA Cup. 2-1 the final score at Selhurst Park. Jacob, you were there yesterday. Talk to us about the game and the, the atmosphere from the away fans and the, the football. I mean, I was going to say, you know, a, a win is a win, but it, it just, it didn't feel like it yesterday. No, it didn't. And as I was, after the game, I was trying to write and I was just thinking, I'm not sure how to do it because you don't want to go overboard with the praise, but you don't want to be too critical either. It just felt one of those where Crystal Palace were really poor. The amount of times they, or amount of passages of play where they had time to break or exploit Southampton's, I don't know, two, two at the back. And they just didn't do it. They just looked very soft Palace. I thought they looked soft in the previous game at Selhurst Park. And that day they won. In terms of the atmosphere, I think it was pretty clear what uh, the atmosphere, uh, the away fans saw in the first 20 odd or so minutes. Um, It was was very clear. I think everyone knows what they, they were singing. And I think there's one point, I think it was either Seleta Sarolianko who sent a long ball forward and Gaeta just caught it. And they just just booze, you know. And I just thought this kind of sums up where Salamton are. There's a discord between fans uh, and and Nathan Jones, and it just seemed quite a, a miserable day, really. I know with a lot of questions still to be answered, despite Salamton getting a seemingly positive result. So, yeah, they're, they're through now. I think it's a good opportunity for Salamton to continue. But if you probably ask Nathan Jones deep down, he could do without without uh, both cups. And Glenn, just to to try and connect with the fans afterwards um, and prove that he knows what he's talking about. The manager came out and said on Lianco, he feels that he's an excellent defender. Were you surprised to see him even start on on Saturday after the, the, the show on Wednesday night? 
Well, yeah, it's one of those ones where you see the 11 names on the team sheet and think, where on earth? Who's playing right back? I, you know, I assume Maitland-Niles will be on the right-hand side somewhere, but he went with, with a flat back four with Lianco at right back. And and fair play after his... I mean, Lianco's had a few horror shows recently. I mean, I I was reading about the... Because he, he, of course, messed up in the Palace game in the league, didn't he? And then he's had the penalty he gave away against Fulham. Um, and he's had the, the nightmare against Nottingham Forest as well. And so to see Lianco's name on the on this team sheet again didn't exactly um, fill me with confidence but to be fair I thought he had a good game he got done a couple of times by Zaha but everyone you know everyone does Carl Walker-Peters got done when he came on as well and had to pull him back and take a book in but um, I thought Lianco did okay I can see why he plays because we're a team of nice boys and he's got a bit of grunt about him and not many have and I thought that was useful yes, uh, yesterday. I thought Chilet Azar did the same thing as Gareth. He he got a booking for a horrible tackle on on Elise, which in the days where they were analysing everything on VAR, that may well have been a red card because he kind of scissored his back leg very cynically. But um, I thought Chilet Azar had a good game. I thought Lianco had a good game. He He's not really an excellent defender because he's got too many, he's just got too many calamities in him. Mm. And you know that having gone one game without having a calamity, he he is due one next week. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's just, but you know, he he did okay. I, I, I think Jones was in a difficult position after the game in that I don't think he really knew what to say. I, and I'm, as I've kind of alluded to a couple of times, I'm really not sure that second half performance was down to him. It just, it just seems totally at odds with the way we were, we were playing beforehand. Richard says, uh, to be fair to Lianco, he did play well yesterday. So um, we'll give him credit where it's due. Steve, um, a win's a win, as we say, um, through to the fourth round. And, and the tie looks favourable as well. I mean, home to Blackpool, they had a, a good result against Forest, And shame it's not away because that would be a good weekend. But it's another game we should be able to get a result in. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure Blackpool away at the end of January is quite the, quite the good weekend <laughs> that anybody really thinks of. Um, but... Yeah, I'd be I mean, on it's, the beach. It's, it's it's a favourable draw, certainly. But yeah, I mean the fact I mean the fact that they've gone and smashed Forest. I'm not sure what side Forest put out. I assume not a particularly strong one. But having made 475 signings in the summer, they've got a big enough squad to to surely cope with with um, these cup these inconvenient cup games. Apparently, but yeah, it's I think it's a good draw and kind of the draw opening up a little bit because obviously City had Chelsea um, today. And they'll probably be playing Arsenal in the next round. So there's there's big teams going to con- continue to get knocked out. Newcastle are obviously out. So continuing Eddie Howe's wonderful um, uh, cup record. And yeah, so there's there's a there's an opportunity to go deep in the competition. It's it's one of those where I mean we we discussed this didn't we last week? Where is the cup a distraction or is it something nice to have where you where you don't feel under the same under quite the same pressure as in the league? But if you do well in that, then suddenly you, you're getting confidence for um, for the league program. So, I think given given everything, I think it's a good it's a good good draw for us. And yeah, I mean, who who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, as long as we don't get beat by them, then then I think everyone <laughs> yeah. that's that's ultimately that's the long and short of it, isn't it? I mean, you look at look at Villa today. I mean, they were what a goal up against against Stevenage in League Two with a minute to go and they've, they've somehow contrived to lose. I mean, that's, that's potentially a team that just, once they let the equaliser, it's like, well, we do not need a replay here. So just whatever, <laughs> but yeah, that was, I mean, that was, that kind of shows how, how mad it, it can be. But it's interesting the, the draw, how the draws kind of pitted us against another team that we played in the 76 cup run. Cause we obviously played 
played Blackpool in in the fourth round, I think. Then are you saying that um, the stars are lining up? Is this is this well, the year? Who knows? Get the mortgage on it, kids. <laughs> yeah, Nathan, Nathan Jones FA Cup winner. That would be. Uh... Although Nick Nick did, I think it was Nick Reed who pointed out early on. He says now we've got a bona fide cup manager. Maybe we just get a league manager and uh, and go that way. And did you see that the last time we faced Blackpool in the FA Cup was this day back in 2011? That, that um, brilliant that? goal by Gooley. Yeah, Gooley. Yeah. <laughs> With the winner for 2-0, wasn't mm. it? All right, well, that's uh, coming up at the end of January, so we've got that to look forward to. Just a note on the, the Forest game. I mean, they'd only scored one goal away from home all season. They'd failed to get a win, so we all knew what was going to happen. We knew which way it was going to go, and we were bound to give them a goal. Glenn, just your, your thoughts on that Forest game and, and, and just the way they, they set up and the way they went about it was just, it was all, all wrong, and, and there was nothing to cling to, really. No, I mean we've done it already, haven't we? Really, the, yeah, it was it was it was just abysmal. We, we had we had nothing. Carl Walker Peters tried to make things happen down the right hand side. Other than that, there was there was nothing. Lavia, Ward, Prowse, Elianusi in the centre of midfield barely touched the ball when, when they when they got on it. There was the usual lack of movement in front of them. It, it, it was it was just rubbish. The the changes that were made during the game did nothing. And it, it was just an appalling game. I've never seen, I can't say never seen, for a long, long time, I can't remember seeing the ground empty from about 65 minutes onwards, bearing in mind we're only 1-0 down. You know, if you're getting thumped 4-0 by someone and there's absolutely no hope. But I saw people leaving 65 minutes, just, we're never going to score. And as they walked out, usually I get annoyed with people leaving early, but I, I kind of looked around and thought, don't blame you. Don't blame you in don't blame you in the slightest. This is this is absolutely atrocious. Good light show though. No, I didn't see it. I was I was I used that um, that time to have a tactical it, toilet break. So it it would have been it. good if the stand had been full. It looked to me like there were a lot of wristbands just on empty seats. It was it just there was lots of things that were wrong. It was the timing for that was was just not right at all, unfortunately. Nah. And and Steve, what did you make? Steve Cooper came out afterwards and he says, I never thought we would concede. And when the Nottingham Forest manager is saying that, you know that that's like a another dagger in the heart yeah i mean the, i mean ultimately he's right isn't he didn't have a shot on target didn't look like having a shot on target other than that adams one early on which i mean he should have hit the target really but yeah H- we were just henderson henderson had to make anemic. one punch one mm. one punch from across that was it other than that yeah. he didn't do anything yeah it was just it was pathetic and but you could ju- you could just see that there was no players the players just looked i don't know just clueless terrified not really sure what they needed to be doing, which given the four weeks sort of pre-season effectively build up to this run of games and given them, I mean, we, we'd said, hadn't we, during the, like after the Fulham game that there was a spell of about probably sort of 15 to 20 minutes in the first half and probably similar in the second half where we actually looked all right and, and we were the better side and, and looked like we were creating chances and, and it looked like then then we might have finally stumbled upon kind of the system and the and the formula that might that might work and then all of a sudden we just lose lose the, lose that little momentum and fall to pieces and I mean Forrest we just didn't start and it was just garbage from pretty much from the first whistle to the last and I mean the, I think the, mo- the most irritating thing is that Forrest were dreadful as well they they did nothing really apart from obviously the goal which we presented to them and they had that they had the chance just before where Johnson hit the po- hit the hit the bar. Um, although I suspect that may have been pulled back for an earlier offside if if VAR had got involved. But other than that, like um, Bazunia's had nothing to save either. 
they were a terrible team, and yet we still didn't have the the leadership, the desire, the gumption to go and just say, "Come on, lads, we're we're better than this lot. Let's get a grip on this game and just get it done." Whether it needed somebody on on that pitch, a senior player. I mean, I know we've not got many, but a senior player to turn around and said, "Look, I know the gaffers said um, hump it in, hump it into the lights so that the, the set, so Joe Worrell can't see it out of the out of the bright LED sunlight uh, floodlights." Um, but let's let's kind of keep that down a little bit. Let's let's try and try and at least vaguely play to our strengths here. But no, there was nothing, and it was just just up in the sky, hope for the best. And to be honest, the best we could ever get out of that game was a 1-0. And that was exactly what we got. We, we got exactly what we deserved. And to be honest, I think I and probably many others were disappointed that we didn't see um, on social media at 9am the following morning. Um, you were waiting dreaded, for the corner flag, weren't that you? That dreaded picture of the corner flag. Because it, it was just like, how do you come back from from that situation where you've you've been, just been so abject, pathetic? It was just just abysmal. And as, as Glenn says, I I I, I genuinely struggled to come up with an, another performance where we've been that bad mm. and just looked utterly clueless. Sometimes you get played off the park by teams. It happens. And you you have a bad game. People don't play well. People make mistakes. But this looked like it was a team that had just. They went. They went onto the pitch, but it was like it was genuinely like they were just a bunch of a bunch of guys that had just been cobbled together for a Sunday league side at ten a.m. ten a.m. that morning, just to fill a, just to make make sure the game went ahead. It was like just bringing in a load of ringers. Come on, lads, just turn up. You're you're all hung over, but it's fine. We'll just get through this ninety minutes, and then we'll get get back to the pub straight after. Yeah, Ellie says. I think it was Ellie who said that actually you could have just pulled eleven players out of the crowd and played them, and they would have probably been better. And James points out we play better when Leicester beat us nine nil. But we'll get on to transfers and stuff a little bit later on. So if you've got any questions about that or any rumours, then stick those in the comments. But it's been one year since the investment firm Sport Republic, backed by a Serbian billionaire, completed the takeover of Southampton. Of course, they bought an eighty percent stake in the club. It was a day for cautious celebrations at the time, but there was a real sense that whatever the future. Held, it couldn't actually be worse than life under the previous regime. So the big question is, I guess, what went wrong? And to help us get to the bottom of this, we're joined by a journalist who worked closely on the protracted takeover story and a regular on this podcast for the previous couple of seasons. The Athletics Dan Sheldon is back. He can't stay away. Hi, Dan. Good evening. I feel like I feel like I haven't been away listening to the last fifteen I was minutes of that. <laughs> gonna say we're talking about dreadful football, the need for a win. Do we need to sack the manager? Uh, how terrible the owners have been. So yeah, nothing has changed. And we're still I, I know my, my, Sunday, my Sunday night hasn't been this downbeat since May. <laughs> uh, how's it all going? Are you well? Are you good? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well enjoying Manchester. All really good. As I say, I've been, been listening to this podcast for the last 10 minutes, so... You've, you've taken my happiness down about 10%. So. Good, I'm pleased. Well, welcome back to The Fold. Um, turn back the clock 12 months. We had an air of optimism talking about the takeover and what might happen. So I know that you've been, uh, or you were working on this quite closely at the time, and I know that you've um, been following the story. So so what's gone wrong? I know that's a very big question, but um, how are we where we are now? How are we still talking about these problems? What, what's gone wrong with, with Sport Republic? I think for, for me, and this is me just, you know, my opinion, I think there are several things that are, that are at play here that have led to where, where Southampton are at the moment. And we can go into a lot more detail on all of them, but you've got strategy would be one, I think is worth looking at. Personnel would be another, the, the transfers and the policy around transfers now. And then you have to compare it with what was before 
in terms of structure, gout and, and so on and so forth. But I think the key one is strategy, really, because Southampton, for all the years I covered them, banged on about strategy all the time. It used to send you to sleep, but everything was about strategy. There was, you know, it may not have been perfect, but they would always just say, this is the strategy, this is the strategy. Now, I have made quite a few notes, so I'm going to go through them. And at any point, interrupt. We'll jump in. You'll jump in. So first things first, you know, the club did have a clear strategy, I would say. From covering them closely for a number of years, there was a clear line of management and everyone knew what they were doing. You know, you had that cliche, the Southampton way, the SFC playbook. You know, it was all there. We could all see what, what was being done, the way they recruited, so on and so forth. Now, for me, and I, I missed out some of your Nathan Jones conversation, how does the, the playbook they, they built over lockdown end up with Nathan Jones being appointed as the club's manager? It, it doesn't really, does it? It shows you that there's been a change in strategy somewhere. But even still, Sport Republic, let's, for example, signed Lavia, you know, a very good ball-playing central midfielder. How does that recruitment lead to Nathan Jones being appointed as the manager, considering he plays long ball football? There's just no, for me, joined up thinking at the moment. It just feels a little bit scattergun. And then you look at what led to them to Nathan Jones in the first place. You know, we talk about data and the impact that had, but look at the personnel Nathan had at Luton. You know, it was a predominantly English team that played physical football. Well, Southampton have players that play football and it's just, you know, for me, it's just baffling, right? The Sport Republic have looked at that and gone, this is our guy, considering he's not had any experience playing a, a at this level or coaching at this level, working with the players he's now working with and also being in a relegation battle in the Premier League. You know, that in itself is alarming. And I think you have to, and I know fans don't don't like this, but you have to look at Southampton as a, as a business, right? Now, in any other business, you know, you look at a clear structure, a clear line of hierarchy. At the moment, you've got a football club being run on the whim of Rasmus Ankerson, right? That That's it. It's Henrik and Rasmus, are, you know, they've taken over full control of the club. Henrik listens to Rasmus from, from what I understand. And Rasmus is now coming up with all these ideas and they're being implemented. Surely Dragon Solak is not going to be happy if he sees his money disappear down the pan well, at the end that, of the season. You'd think so. And, you know, you look at it this time last year, so it was January the 11th was the first time they came to St. Mary's. They played Brentford. I can't remember if it was 4-0 or 4-1, but either way, it was a really good performance and, and they won. Now, at the time, I mean, Southampton obviously went on to kind of fall off a cliff for the rest of that season. But, at, you know, if you look at the club that, Dragon invested in where they were in the league and what we were all discussing at the time was perhaps maybe a push for Europe. Well, 12 months later, they bottom of the Premier League and everyone's wondering, well, where's their next league win going to come from? He can't be happy with that. You know, and if I was him, you know, he, he is invested in Southampton, but he's also invested in Sport Republic, right? They sold him the idea and they convinced him to come on board. Now, if I'm him, I'm asking them, well, what on earth is going on here? You know, it wasn't like this before. Why is it like it now? And then that leads to 
to personnel. I mean, I don't know if there's anything on the strategy side you guys want to get. I was just going to uh, maybe bring Jacob in on this because I know that you sat down and spoke with them. But at the time, yeah. it was very much like we're going to leave the club to get on with it. We're not going to be involved yeah. in in the day to day. You know, Martin Simmons will still be running the club. That doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. And the other thing, I think a quote from um, when you spoke to them, Jacob, was that about the recruitment policy being a, a gamble. And they said it, it could be a stick to beat us with if it doesn't work. Is now the time to start beating them? that stick because it appears that it, it hasn't exactly i think uh, dan spoke to martin simmons last year this time last year and martin said that he was going to have full autonomy still and rasmus would contribute but he would let martin carry on running the business and that is something's been lost in in that period since because you know as dan says rasmus is in control of a lot of things there's gonna be a piece coming out this week on the athletic about how he's overhauled the scouting system there's a lot of departures within that scouting system so there's a big overhaul and one of the things i asked uh sport republic and martin at the time was about signings and you know it gave you that answer i just thought looking at from the outside it looks a very convoluted process we're not really sure well we know it's rasmus but we weren't really sure at the time who's in charge you know martin and toby Steele were the were the guys that everyone could pin previously under gout and then this time Rasmus Ankerson's having the deciding say but i don't think he's really made clear especially in the last couple of months about what his strategy was i know there's a lot of metrics and data that goes into it and steve touched on it earlier but there just seems to be something that's lost in translation and there's such an unclear way of working and as, as dan said perfectly it is ran by rasmus and he's got a lot of plates and he's spinning a lot and i don't think they're all particularly working very well rasmus Ankerson has a as a website because he obviously does a lot of keynote speeches for, for big companies google nike pepsi you know they all employ him or pay him to to come and talk and in his second book um there's a promo video on his website and it's like a five minute clip um i'd recommend southampton fans to go and watch it because there's a section and it's titled if it isn't broke if it isn't broken consider breaking it right brilliant i mean just go and watch the video and it gives you an idea of what he thinks and how he kind of operates within a business and maybe it will build a picture of what's going on at, at Southampton. But yeah, the section is if it isn't broken, then you should consider breaking it. It's called Hunger in Paradise. So I would definitely go and watch that video. That sounds amazing, Dan. I really don't want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to, Steve, on the recruitment thing, when all the, we were signing these players and we were spending all sorts of money, you know, we at the time we were like, this, this could be one of the best transfer windows that we've had. And then all of a sudden you start to see the gaps and, and they are very big gaps, like letting Romeo go, for example, seems to be dreadful. And of course, not being able to, to get a striker in, putting the manager to one side, he's not responsible for the fact that we, we can't score a goal at the moment. Uh, no, well... Yes and no. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's he's not responsible for the makeup of the squad and, and the, the sort of imbalances that it has. But at the end of the day, the reason managers are managing at the top level is because they're able to make make do with sort of various things like that. They're, every every team gets injuries and you're missing key players every so often and you and you have to tailor your teams and your tactics to to suit that it's not like it's not football it's not a game of football manager where you literally just plug in a guy who's got a few stats that vaguely fit the the position on the pitch that you want to fill, fill on your um on your bog standard 4 4231 system um that doesn't work in real life really for the most part um, you've got to be you've got to be more subtle and more sophisticated about it, and it's just it just 
baffles me that that we're that we're in this situation having had had yeah I mean, as as you say we were we were reasonably positive about the about the summer window in terms of those signings we made they all they all looked exciting they all addressed individual um weaknesses that we thought that we had in in the squad and i mean to the most part mo- most of them have have contributed and they and they've looked looked okay um i mean i don't think anybody quite foresaw that um romeo lavia would be our most important player literally three games into the season yeah and then three weeks later he'd be missing until christmas um for injury so that's that's kind of that's one of those things where you just kind of you you're a little bit unlucky but i mean they could easily have just vetoed romeo's move to girona surely couldn't they i mean surely the the signings that we made from city on on deadline day weren't contingent on us letting oriol romeo go and play uh, go and play for girona at the bottom end of la liga yeah i think on the on the recruitment you know let's not kind of kid ourselves and think that the previous board's recruitment was fantastic because it certainly wasn't i mean they signed shay adams who okay scored a few goals but you could say it probably hasn't worked out how they would have hoped so then they go and sign another championship striker for the same money and again that that's not worked out this is the board that signed lianco but sport republic have taken it to to another extreme i think you know and with romeo so i know i know for a fact he went to he, he was basically blocked from leaving the club in the summer they didn't want him to go so he went to sport republic and said look i'd like to leave and they let him leave now rightly or wrongly whether they should have done that or not i don't think they should have because romeo was told he's not going and then he was allowed to leave by sport republic now yeah make of that what you will and you know probably three or four games in myself included no one was probably looking at it and thinking oh gosh they really miss him because lavia was playing so well but my god now you'd love Romeo in that in that team or that dressing room, mm-hmm. just as the experience. I mean, watching that Forest game, the young players, it you know, it, it's you know, it's tough for them. They're learning the job. to watch, isn't it? You just feel for them. Yeah, it, yeah. And we we're seeing that now, like Samuel Odozi, really good player, really young, so much talent, but he's been thrown in at the deep end. Like, where's that person who's going to put their arm around him in that dressing room? Mm-hmm. You know, James Ward Prowse can't do it all. And I think, you know, Ralph Hasnutter used to say ad nauseum that that James isn't exactly the most vocal leader anyway. Like Ralph had no problem saying that. He said he was a leader on the pitch by how he played and how he trained. Well, Southampton needs someone a bit more vocal in the dressing room to sort of say to the young guys that this is what we should be doing. So yeah, on the recruitment, I just don't think we should sit there and say that the recruitment before them was, you know, exactly brilliant because I don't think it was. But it means they're looking now for leaders and experience and those slightly older players, which kind of goes Yeah, I think, you know, Jacob's reported on... Well, you know, obviously Orsic has joined now, isn't he? And then Jacob's been reporting on other targets. You know, I think that probably shows that they've realised that they went too hard too soon on the on the signing young players. Um, the assets, as they the, referred to them, wasn't it? The, the players that they the, can sell on for in a few years' time for, for yeah. some good money. There's obviously a realisation that they got that wrong in the summer and that the, the, the squad is just dearth of any experience, which in the predicament Southampton are in is absolutely crucial right now. So the other thing then, Dan, is, 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 is it seems a bit at the moment like it's rats leaving a sinking ship because you've got the Matt Crocker, the director of football's gone, Joe Shields. Uh, you can pull all these out in, in isolation, but it seems like there's a, a lot of key vacancies at the moment and, and the club are, are exposed or there isn't anybody to, to make these decisions for, for Ankerson. He's, he, he's happy to make these decisions because everyone else has gone and, and left him to it. There's, it. It feels to me there's something else that's going on there. 
I would I would separate Joe Shields and Matt Crocker, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, they're completely separate situations. And Joe Shields was given an opportunity by Southampton and probably way sooner than he expected was given another opportunity by, you know, uh, one of England's biggest teams. Although it left Southampton in a bit of a hole when it didn't look very good, how it all played out. I don't think you can really blame him for doing, you know, it was quite an obvious career choice, wasn't it? If he's come to Southampton and now he's been offered a similar kind of role at Chelsea. To double the so money, soon. probably, I guess. You're going to do it. I mean, look, you're going to do it. Matt Crocker is much more interesting because that speaks to probably what is going on behind the scenes a bit more and the influence that he no longer has or that the influence that Rasmus and Sport Republic have perhaps taken away from him. Now, we reported the story on The Athletic that, that he was going to be leaving at the end of the summer. And, you know, since since the takeover... And I'm sure Jacob's heard exactly the same sort of stuff as me. You know, I heard so many times that Matt had just become marginalised, really. Like, you know, what, what was he doing? Well, I, no idea, because there's a new plan. There's a new strategy. Although we've just spoken about, I don't know what that strategy is that they've, they're implementing at the moment. There's supposedly a new strategy. And for Matt, it's kind of like, well, what, what am I doing here? Is he going to sit back and watch all of his work get get ripped up probably not I mean no one would like to do that would they but I would definitely separate those two situations and you obviously have the commercial director David Thomas is leaving at the end of this month and there have been some other departures kind of a, a step down from that senior board level as, at the same time so yeah I mean I don't know whether it's rats leaving a sinking ship but there's certainly a lot of changes going on and, and the other uh, name that's been mentioned today Dan was is it Jason Wilcox it looks like they might be going back to Manchester City for their their academy director is that something you've heard as well or is, is, is that well, it's, it, it's not something I've 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 actively heard or or really sought out but I mean it's just remarkable I mean I don't doubt the information is true it's come from Fabrizio who you know gets story after story and went through a, a summer of getting a lot of Manchester City and Southampton stories so you know, you'd probably have to say that there's some element of truth to it. However, you just look at it and you think, do they just sit in a room now and just think, <laughs> what Man City doing? <laughs> yeah, we're going to do that. Let's just do that. You know, who was Joe Shields? Dip? Yeah, let's just get him. Like, it is going to be great. But I don't know if it was Steve. I think Steve may have mentioned, or maybe you, Martin, sorry, about the communication element, which I think is a really important factor since the takeover. There, there, is, there hasn't been any communication i mean under gao okay that no one ever heard from gao anyway but you would have toby would come on the podcast mm. or bbc solon or martin might come on the podcast or bbc solon or there'd be fans forums and and that that stopped right so so fans are, are now guessing at, at what's going on um behind the scenes and if you know there's ever a time for sport republic to come out and talk it'd be now or put Toby Steele up for interview by you guys, by Adam Blackmore, by Jacob, whoever, to explain what's going on. I mean, you could only assume that has all stopped because they've been told to stop. Adam Blackmore said on the radio last week that he's been trying to get an interview with Sport Republic for 12 months. And I'm sure, you know, I know Jacob did one piece on them, um, but that was more about, you know, longer term vision rather than what's happening this season. And are we going to get relegated yeah. or not? which I think is what's at the forefront of most people's minds at the moment. I, I find I find the lack of communication kind of baffling. It's alarming, really, yeah. isn't it? It's really odd. And, it, you know, no matter what, I mean, you could sit through those fans' forums and, you know, you might think that Martin, Toby and co, they're all waffling on, but they're there. You know, they, they will answer questions. Facing now, I heard a story. I heard a story around Christmas 
that Martin was actually walking around the hospitality boxes at St. Mary's where fans were asking him questions and he would he would answer them. I heard that from within the club. You know, why aren't Sport Republic sitting down in a room at St. Mary's like Toby, David, Ralph, whoever used to do and just answering questions? Because if they need they need to do it. They need to come out and explain what is going on. Because Even if, even if they did one of those club videos like Nicola Cortese used to do. Okay, it was a bit cringy, but... You know, he, he sat down for like 15 minutes and they put it out on the official yeah. club channels explaining the vision, explaining the strategy. I'm yeah, going to spend all of Marcus's money. <laughs> there was such a, in, that, in that, the interview that Jacob got with all of them, like one of the comments that just blew my mind was about the board being dysfunctional. Now, if, if Henrik describes the previous board as dysfunctional, like, how on earth do you describe the current setup? Yeah. Like genuinely, like really, that to me is baffling. So I'd love to ask him, ask him that. But the communication is huge. I, I, I can't believe that you know it's been stopped or it appears to have been stopped. I think that's quite alarming. It, it all feels a long way from that interview you did, Jacob, because because you were the one that sat down with them and, and they set out the, the plan and, and you kind of read through that and you go, as a fan, I'm quite buoyed by what they've got to say. There's some really good stuff in there and I felt really confident. I didn't think that a few weeks or months later I'd be sat here thinking that all the work that Gal and Ralph and Martin Simmons had done has suddenly been unraveled and, and ruined. And there doesn't seem to be any accountability. No, I, I did find them really interesting when in, in the couple of hours I had had with them. And I do feel if supporters had that opportunity as well, I think they would understand a little bit more, especially at a time where Rasmus especially is making such sweeping changes and he's trying to change things and fit his image. But supporters don't really know what his image is. And it's been mentioned to me a number of times by different people about how he's making these changes at a time where the league position and everything around the club, the fan base, you know, they're feeling towards a manager. It's just so precarious. There's no stability. Uh, there's no stable base where they can then make the changes. If you are going to make the changes, you've got to communicate with the fans. You've got to at least uh, let people know because there's staff inside that club that are second guessing. And if they're second guessing, then you can only imagine what supporters are thinking as well. So where do we go from here, Dan? What's, what's next? Give us some good news. What's, um, <laughs> Manchester City on Wednesday night, <laughs> uh, which is next. Yeah. So, do, do you think from from what you know about Sport Republic, do you think they're going to be addressing the the issues? Because clearly things are not right at the moment. Are they going to have a, a desire? Do you think to, to to come out and and talk like you say and, and make some key appointments and and get things right, or do you think they're going to be more of a, a closed shell and this is our way and that we're we're going to do things we want to do it and like it or lump it? I think if they aren't going to look in the mirror now and reflect on some of the decisions they've made over the past few months and try and reverse those and perhaps empower others at the football club, then are they ever going to do it? Probably not. I think it's a really important time over the next few weeks, months, however long, where a sense of normality kind of resumes behind the scenes because it, it, it does just look like, at the, as you say, one person making all of the decisions which is fine if there are relevant checks and balances and there's a process and a clear you know, hierarchy to what's going on, but it just doesn't look that way. Now, you know, I, I watched the games and I, I, you know, I saw Jacob's tweet about what the fans were chanting towards Nathan Jones and I kind of feel a little bit sorry for him, to be honest. Because, again, you wouldn't turn down the job. But if, if Sport Republic were to now decide that he's not the right person, then they may as well just hold up a sign and say, we've got no idea what we're doing. Are they going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. Jacob will know them much better than I do. 
Rasmus is a very confident, headstrong guy. So I've, I've spoken to Dan about this a few times and other people. I, I'm not sure if even if Nathan Jones's role position was untenable, he would be that keen to pull the trigger because it's an admission that he's made a big mistake. And he's a man that, you know, he, he takes pride in his reputation of all the things he's done. He's only 39. And he's got he's got a fantastic CV on paper. And I think any damage to that would, would hurt him. Um, so I'm not sure he'd be too keen to to make that to make that change so quickly um but it's the, it's the modern a, thing isn't it that the yeah the, the people with people in power don't admit their mistakes anymore yeah i just when i found it i just found him very confident and just very he felt like he knew what he was doing and whether he listens to outside voices henrik said to me that his job on the board is to check and challenge people so when dan talks about that check and balance and thing that's what henrik's role role is but them two are very close. So I'm not sure Henrik will will have to say to ch- to challenge Rasmus. Does he have the football orientation? Does he have the football knowledge to think? Right, Rasmus, are you sure you want to do that? I think this Rasmus has got full control in that of that club and that multi club model, and he's going to continue to do it uh, as long as his his ego and his uh, his headstrong uh, ability allows him to. Well, he's going to carry he's going to carry on doing it as long as Dragon Solak lets him do it and mm. getting relegated and knocking millions off the turnover of the biggest asset at a stroke is not going to look great on his LinkedIn profile. <laughs> so no. he can he can be as stubborn as he wants and keep this guy in charge, and we will get relegated 100%, or he could admit he's made a mistake by replacing him and then have a chance of not having that big blot on his CV at the end of the season. So I I don't know how this is going to go it's um well that yeah i mean it took i think brentford away that really miserable performance where i can't remember what the score was three nil or whatever you know that's where the first time i ever heard southampton fans calling for ralph to go was in that game and that took what three and a half years yeah i mean it's taken three games (laughs) three three games (laughs) yeah yeah for the for the fan and it's gonna be so hard for for nathan to kind of claw that back because i think first impressions are so important and while I didn't watch the Luton, the, the Lincoln game, you know, I read about it and I, I've seen clips and it's hard to kind of win the fans yeah, back from, was, from that moment on. It's, it's interesting to think about the multi-club and, and if if another club hears that Sport Republic are in for them, you know, they're going to be running for the hills and hoping that it just, it doesn't happen. And <laughs> I, I never knew, I never thought that we would be talking about this and having these conversations a year in. I, I honestly, this is, this is not how it was going to work out. So we can only hope that in, in 12 months time, things are, things are different. Yeah, well, the multi-club model theory is good. And, you know, when they bought the club it sounded great but they've spent too much time doing what they said they weren't going to do running Southampton and grow it and not enough time doing what they said they were going to do growing Sport Republic so they you have to find the balance well it's Man City next for us Dan so um what have you made of the City team since you've been uh, covering them and up in in Manchester they've got any (laughs) weaknesses how how do we get around the back how do we get a goal Uh, the the key to beating Man City pump it long pump it long to Shea knock it down what, get Jennifer on the wings, cross it in, Adam Armstrong, bang. That that's how Marvellous. you do it. You know. Marvellous. I was sorted yeah. then. <laughs> even if I mean, even if they rest their starting eleven, it's still going to be a decent size. It? Pep's always been a big fan of the way Southampton play, but I think that's going to be a bit of a stretch on Wednesday. I'm sure, I mean, Pep's very good at the, the backhanded compliment after he's <laughs> you know dished out a, a beating, isn't he? He's very good at that. I think James Ward Prowse was the the best set piece taker in the world, wasn't he? After City beat Southampton at one point, yeah. so. Yeah, it, it's been great. Watching Man City is, 
you know, they're, they're a phenomenal team, you know, just watching the patterns of play. And I was at the game where they beat Liverpool and it's just a privilege to be there and watch them when they're, and the, the game against Chelsea just now, you know, they weren't even at their best. And okay, Chelsea weren't at their best and they're going through some problems with Graham Potter. You can't not be afraid if you're Southampton because City can hurt you in so many ways. And look at the players they rested today. Yeah. Yeah, I think we know what the outcome's going to be. So um, it was a pleasure having you on. Glad things are going all right. Uh, I'm glad you're enjoying winning every week. And uh, it was nice to... Uh, well, even, even Man United are winning. I mean, it's like a blessing. I've had, never won so many football games since I've come up here. Uh, all the best with it, Dan. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Cheers, gents. Take care. Cheers. Uh, the other game we've got coming up, of course, is uh, Everton. So just to wrap up, we'll get on to transfers. We need to talk about Everton as well. Um, we've never in our history lost seven league games in a row. Uh, <laughs> and next, it's um, a trip to Goodison Park. So historically, always a, a tough place to uh, to get a result. Is it a good time to be playing them, Steve, if, if ever there was? Yes, but we've had this before. We've we've had a number of times where Everton have looked an absolute shambles. Even like even back in back in the days where we were actually quite good, um, we'd go to Everton when like times where they were they were struggling down near the relegation zone as they are now, and yet we were like sixth or seventh. And you'd go up there and and we'd expect we'd expect to win, and still we'd find a way to contrive to lose. Usually in the last minute, usually some sort of dodgy, jammy, deflected goal where they've just hit and hoped something from thirty yards, and it's rebounded off um, off Bednarek's arse or or whatever. <laughs> and um, so yeah, I mean i I don't hold out an awful lot of hope this time, given how bad we've been playing. Um, the only the only consolation is that Everton are clearly also terrible at the moment. I mean, Brighton, Brighton won four one there. I mean, that could have been that could have been a nine. Um, there was that much of a gulf between the sides, and the I mean, everyone everyone's obviously well aware of the um, the sort of level of boo that um, that builds up at Goodison Park when things aren't going well. Um, I mean, I think that that could be that could be a shared thing from the from the fans on on Saturday. I, I kind of wonder whether sort of between between the two fan bases, you could generate enough hot air from booing <laughs> to cover the the winter uh, winter sort of fuel crisis. Um, it's basically two distinctly unhappy fan bases and two very bad football teams. So. I mean, it's a it's a the, coin bo- the booing's going to be in stereo, isn't it? It's, it's going to be boo off. Boo off, Glenn. You were there, weren't you, last time we won in the league? Um, <laughs> yeah. was it back, back in the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, I saw, I saw a couple of games in the 90s. The first one we lost 7 1, that was a great trip. Um, and the, the second one we actually won 2 0 with um Matt Sissier and Kevin Davis scoring and Kevin Davis's slalom goal. And I've never been back, so uh, apparently the ground hasn't changed, but yes. uh, no, I so I've actually won, probably one of a few Saints fans has actually seen us win there, but I you know, I echo everything that Steve has said. We, I remember one game a couple of years ago, we were actually winning 1-0. Nathan Redmond scored with a header. We were winning 1-0, 94th minute, jammy deflected equaliser. That's, yeah. That seems to be the way it goes up there. They're, they're, they're the team in the league at the moment that have got the best shout for being as bad as we are. They're, they're, they're awful. I watched most of that game against Brighton and they were sh- shockingly bad. <laughs> Some of some of the goals they gave away. The, the, there's that, one that goal. That fourth where... one was incredible. The fourth one. Um, was I mean, I mean, it, but then Lianco, It was basically exactly the same as what Lianco then did the night after. Yeah, yeah. but it, it it was proper funny. But they will be set up 
they've got Tarkovsky and Godfrey and Cody at center half. So if we lump the ball up to Che Adams, they'll eat that up all day. So we've got to play more like how we tried to play against Crystal Palace and and hopefully the pressure will get to them and they'll they'll throw us a couple of goals like Palace did. But right, yesterday, yeah. yeah. I mean, we... yesterday was a nice distraction, Jacob, but it's back to the, the seriousness of, of the league and, and now the need to get the points. And I just think if we don't pick up a win at Everton, then then this whole situation, it doesn't it doesn't not go away. It just gets even worse. And, and the magnifying glass is on and, and everything we've already talked about tonight is, is magnified by even more for the after the game. Yeah, I dare not think what would happen in the aftermath of that game if Slamson would lose that. Um, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people and they just say how basic Slamson are in terms of how they keep the ball, their possession, their movements. You know, these are coaches that are saying it. And I I want to see a win, but I also want to see some semblance of a plan, just, just something where I can look on that pitch and say, right, they're playing this system because they want to exploit A, B or C. It's just, everything just seems a little bit, I'm not sure what's really going on. So I want to, I want them to go to Everton, to Goodison Park next Saturday, to be on the front foot, to be brave. And even if they do lose, you know, it's obviously not going to be very good, is it, in the aftermath? But I at least want to see something. Jones keeps talking about how he's got a way of he wants to play eventually, but he hasn't got the personnel to do that. Let's see what that way of playing is. And then let's let us judge whether the personnel can do that or not. So um, I'm going to go there the night before. I'm going to have a lovely uh, Friday night. Uh, I'm going to enjoy everything about Liverpool and then we'll go to the game on Saturday and we'll hope there's a turnaround and I'm not writing about a record-breaking historic seventh loss loss in a row. Oh, Lord. Okay. Well, listen, if you're new to the podcast, uh, one of the things we always do every week, just for a bit of fun, um, and it turns out nothing more than that, is our <laughs> predictions. Um, and by by no means put any money on, on what we come out with, because we very rarely <laughs> get it right. Um, Jacob, I'm going to ask you to start, because you were being all nice and positive last year, and then you were like, well, actually, let's be a bit more realistic this year. Um, is it is it going to ruin your weekend in Liverpool? I'm too far gone to be realistic now. I'm just going to continue to be positive. Um <laughs> I'm going to go for a 2-1 win. I'm going to keep saying 2-1 win until it comes true. So hopefully uh, it, it does on the weekend. All right. Uh, Glenn, score prediction for you, please. 1-0 um, defeat. <laughs> Dismal. Got no optimism whatsoever that Nathan Jones is capable of coming up with anything to win a Premier League game against the team that needs to win. This is like the Forest game. You know, this is, this is another game like the Forest game where we're playing a desperate team who I think will... You know, we'll we'll find us very very easy to manage. We'll we'll play unless he comes up with some sort of tactical master plan, which I just do not believe he's capable of doing. Frank Lampard is an equally dreadful manager. Yeah. Um. So he won't come up with anything tactically, but he managed to um he managed to get a win at St Mary's, didn't he? Yes. Uh, it was one of Ralph's off days, which he was having all too frequently towards the end. Um. I personally can't see Nathan Jones coming up with anything to be honest i mean okay. you know let's let's talk about the man city game on wednesday nathan jones against pep guardiola as Roy King would say <laughs> do me a favor do me a favor i've gone for That's one all hilarious i'm going for one i'm seeing lots of one alls i'm seeing some three nils um steve score prediction from you please sir i mean it's just our our record up there i mean like glenn said it's it's a similar situation to forest whereby both sides are desperate for a win been terrible in form um, and yet the Forest game, we had the advantage of being at home with Forest garbage away record, and we still contrived to lose. Whereas we're going up to Everton with our record up there. Yeah, even if we were playing got... well, we wouldn't be confident yeah, of getting a result. Exactly. So, yeah, I, 
I mean, I, I share Gla- uh, Glenn's complete lack of any sort of optimism for this one. Um, 2 0. 2 0. Okay, well, it's going to be a fun podcast next week. Um, let's mm. finish on a positive, Jacob, just some transfer news. Um, a few people have been asking questions about this. Um, Orsic over the line from Dynamo Zagreb, around 6 million. Seems like good business to us. Yeah, I think it is. I think everyone's, I'm not at DMs I've been getting about transfers this week. I think even my nan and granddad are asking me about transfers. Yeah, I, I do quite like what Southampton have, have done in the first week. I think Orsic was really good value for money. You know, Sport Republic don't like to buy anything, anyone over 27, but the fact they could get him that cheap and the fact that he's, you know, really hitting his peak after quite a slow start to his career, I think it's a really good deal. Um, you know, the other players that they're they're interested in and trying to move forward with, you know, Tareem Moffey, uh, Nicholas Jackson, Carlos Alcaraz, uh, even Michael Keane, I think they're all quite a good balance. I'm really excited about Alcaraz and I think and I, I hope that does get over the line. Um, you think this uh, might happen? I mean, bearing yeah. in mind, we're recording this on Sunday night, so it may already be the picture of him holding the shirt outside Staplewood, but you, you think that's the next one maybe? Uh, I'm not sure it's the next one, but I I, I think it's probably will happen. Um, you know, Southampton had a bit rejected of 10 million euros. Uh, Racing Club have a 25 million euro release clause. Southampton, uh, all well, Alcaraz's sort of representatives, uh, Racing Club fully expect uh, Southampton to come back with an improved offer. They're not looking for the release clause. They're looking for something close to it. But I think there can be a bit of bargaining going on. And I do think if Southampton want that deal done, they they will get it done. Nicholas Jackson's another one. I know he's he's injured at the moment. He didn't play for Villarreal against Real Madrid yesterday, but that wouldn't scupper any move. Uh, he wants to move and, you know, it's going to be a loan with an option to buy. So you'd say that's quite low risk as well, wouldn't you? So, um, mm. and Michael Keane, if Jones wants to play that back three, if he wants to play, uh, have five centre-backs, it will stop Jan Benerick from coming back and Michael Keane. Keep Glenn happy. <laughs> and Michael Keane's already but my, quite my good in back three. with Keane is he can't, he can't get into Everton's team. No, yeah. <laughs> no, he can't. And that, you, you think in the summer, I, I know that, Slamton had talks with Connor Cody's and Tyrone Mings' representatives and you just think if they manage to get one of those over the line, especially Connor Cody now in that back three, then you know things it might have made a world of difference. It's another example of what we didn't do in the summer, I think, that he's going to come back to to haunt us. Well, hopefully we'll have a few more in um, by the end of the week and plenty more to, to talk about next week. I'm hoping we'll have uh, a positive result as well. That's pretty much it for this week. Don't forget you can follow Total Saints Podcast on Facebook. You can get in touch with us there and on Twitter as well. Uh, if you're listening for the first time, we are at Total Saints Pod. You can find us on pretty much all of the socials. The website is there as well. It's totalsaints.co.uk. That includes a link to our online shop, which is called the Total Saints icons and you can drop us an email there during the week as well we'll get to all your emails um during the week we're also on patreon that's where you can find out more about supporting the podcast with a monthly contribution it's patreon.com forward slash total saints podcast there's four different tiers on there and they range from five pounds to 20 pounds per month each comes with their own perks including shout outs on the podcast for patrons in our francis benali and our mick shannon tiers so thanks to dave melton mark atkins and matt hauler in the francis benali tier also colt baker Dave Ernstberger, Ed Busy, Nick Higston, Phil Cook, Matt Rose, and Nick Reed in the Mick Shannon tier. Um, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks to Dan for dropping in as well. Uh, thank you for listening. Fingers crossed for a better performance on the pitch. And we'll see you again next weekend. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116 123 
That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.